0: Dearly beloved We are gathered today to get
1: this thing life That's a mighty long time But I'm one time. You've joined the Beatty Max Video Club Rewinding back to our favourite films of the 1980s My name's Rich Nelson Tonight I've rented Purple Rain I'm Watching it with me is Lowe Hello Catherine. how are you?
0: I'm ready to purify myself in Lake Minnetonka <laughs>
1: Now, this is a film that I think means a lot to a lot of people, but to yourself, what is so special about Prince for you?
0: Well, I once queued for eight hours to get into a Prince gig and I would happily have done it for twice as long. So that probably tells you all you need to know.
1: There's some strong credentials there. (laughs) Uh, uh, Which gig was it?
0: It was um, his hit-and-run Coco gig in 2014 in Camden, Oh in
1: February. Wow, okay. Um, it must have been good.
0: It was very good, yes.
1: And how many times have you seen Prince?
0: I saw him four times. I, I was very lucky to see him four times.
1: Oh, wow, okay. And let's say we've talk, we're have talked we talking about Purple Rain. Now, this is a film that you, from our chats before, adore, clearly. And I'll let like, you put this out i've never seen it before two days ago Ah. what a film thank you very <laughs> much <laughs> what is so special about purple rain for you
0: uh, well i bought the purple rain soundtrack sometime in the mid 90s from the record shop in bangor um which was the city near to where i was living and um this record shop was called Cobb. it's now closed sadly and i got the soundtrack on cassette and I got to know it very well over the years. The Beautiful Ones in particular got me through some points of melodrama in my personal life, let's say. It's a really incredible album and it never gets old, not just because it's really invented musically, but it's also like got a narrative of its own that pulls you in. And um, yeah, I didn't see the film until quite a few years later and the performance scenes in particular in the film just really knocked me sideways. I don't think I've ever watched the film. I've seen it quite a few times since and I don't think I've ever watched it without feeling quite moved by those scenes. They're really something else. I don't know what you thought though, seeing it the first time.
1: It was again strange. You know, you, you watch a film with it's hard to have these sort of even preconceptions about it. I mean, I I, I was never a huge Prince fan growing up. I, I don't It just kind of I've talked about this before about films and books and all sorts. It kind of I, I missed the train a little bit with that one, but um, you, know, I, you know I liked his music. And, and coming to it, it's hard to know exactly where it's going to be. Where you know a, a film is so linked to its star. I mean, I mean it is a vehicle. Let's let's not beat around the bush. Um, but coming to it, it's, it's within. There's a series of of small gigs that he plays at this club in in minnesota where it was minneapolis sorry and he's the the performance he gives i mean if you're not a prince fan at the beginning i mean it's hard to see how you wouldn't be at the end uh if you are a prince fan at the beginning bloody hell what's it going to turn you into at the end of it (laughs) And you know even if you're not a huge prince fan and you're a human being with ears you've probably heard at least a couple of the songs playing on, on radio or, or on TV, and when it opens with Let's Go Crazy, which is one of his more popular ones, that immediately hooks you in, yeah. Um, from the beginning, I mean, that's if you know, that there's no build up to it that goes straight in. I mean, it really hooks you in a way that I mean, we talked about it when we we discussed Wayne's World, and I know it, this isn't the thing that we both wrote down, but how Wayne's World was filmed and and directed by a woman who'd done a lot of work with live music so she knew how to present it on screen yeah and I think in this case again the elements of it are so good that the fact that the live music scenes in it are brilliant the rest of it I'm not going to lie can often pass for unintentional comedy
0: yeah
1: but in a good way (laughs) but the but starting and ending and having bits in between of live music, it knows what its strength is. And it pretty much starts at full pelt, which I think in a film like this, it certainly takes you along for a ride. It really does, doesn't it?
0: I think the um the director, Albert Magnoli he um he insisted on having like more than nine hundred extras for those uh gig scenes. Because he really wanted to get like a proper atmosphere of um, people having a great time in in those um, in those sequences, and got them all kind of dressed, you know, properly and everything. And the whole the whole film starts with those stills of faces in the crowd, interspersed with Prince's performance, and I think that that really kind of adds to it. From the word go, it's not just about. Prince and his band it's also about the people that are making up like the crowds in that music scene in Minneapolis and you know the moment in time that you're in and the fact that all of these people are people that Prince and his band and the time and all of the people playing at this venue they're going to have to impress these guys you know and so it sort of gives you the perspective of someone in the crowd right from the get-go doesn't it?
1: yeah and and when you see those people in the crowd it is almost like a time capsule you know that the film came out in 1984 it's a time capsule of that era the looks of the people in the crowd the the people working the doorman at the at the club it, everything about it and when you see that they look they are like judges on a talent show they 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 make or break an act yeah. um their faces portray a kind of i'm here to be entertained like you said you know that they're they're the kind of key to this and 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 i know a lot of films most films will take you on a journey and and how the main character has to kind of evolve over the course of however many minutes the film is and you see that this film takes you along with prince or the kid as his character in this as he grows along the journey i mean this could be any film we're talking about here but he evolves throughout the film to the point where i mean i, I might as well jump around here because because oh, you yeah, yeah. think yeah. like that the, throughout the film he is portrayed as kind of he he's not winning the crowd and this makes it sound like he's gladiator or something but he's not you know the crowd aren't overly into him the the management at the club are worried that you know he's he's playing these songs for himself and he has to learn to win over the crowd he has to play the music and do what is for other people and not just for himself and that's kind of his chrysalis butterfly emerging moment at the end of the film yeah and watching it and his story and his journey and knowing that this is quite autobiographical it's you feel like you learn a lot about prince just from watching this film
0: completely completely and um i think we put certain artists on pedestals and with someone like prince it's you know it's easy to see why he's an absolute genius but we kind of forget that before they hit the big time they had to really graft and they had to sort of, you know, struggle to get recognized like anyone else. I mean, that's the thing. Even though Prince was always exceptionally gifted, it wasn't always a the surefire thing that he was gonna become the person that he became. And just a couple of years before this film came out, um, his band had been touring and they'd played, you know, Paris and they played London and the act had been going down quite well. And then they got this incredible offer to support the Rolling Stones in LA. And, you know, and Prince came on wearing his trench coat and boots and underwear as outerwear. And, you know, and he has this band behind him. And it's sort of a mix of genders and a mix of people from different racial backgrounds. And there was something about the whole act that made the Rolling Stones fans just really, really take against them because it just Was something about the combination of different factors that they hadn't really encountered before. And they got bottled off the stage. And (laughs) I think it really, really shook them up. And it's just quite incredible to kind of like imagine that kind of thing happening so soon to a film like this coming out, because it just looks like someone who's already at the height of their fame and they're just filled with confidence and they've always been this confident. But it really wasn't the case. And apparently when they were touring, he'd get the band, he'd film each gig, he'd get someone to film each gig, and then at the end of each gig, he'd get the band to watch the gig back. And if anyone screwed up, he'd pull them up on it. You know, It's like a really tight regime of getting everyone absolutely sort of drilled in a way they'd never been before in terms of how to nail a live performance. So what you see in the film... You know, is, is that even though obviously you've got the incredible cinematography, because that's Donald Thorin who did Officer and a Gentleman and Midnight Runs. So he's, you know, obviously really gifted and stuff. But you also are just capturing something that Prince had really like honed down to a kind of, you know, a real art by then. So
1: One thing that sort of comes to mind is when watching this film and I think recently you recommended a a podcast talking about coming to America. And they were talking about how there were a number of black artists in America in the eighties that had this kind of, that either were at the peak or, or yet to peak in their sort of powers and fame and, and that. And you think about Prince in this 1984 and another link that you sent me was at the premiere of the film, Eddie Murphy was there and this was Eddie Murphy in 1984 yeah. talking about being a Prince groupie I mean that's how big and how big a star Prince was and how that comes across in the film and it's hard to gauge sometimes looking back at you look at a certain era of time and you wonder who are the big stars at the time and I think that podcast talked about how it was an age of stardom and celebrity that perhaps we're kind of Moved away from slightly now in in 2021, but when you look at people, and I think the names they mentioned were Eddie Murphy, Prince, Michael Jordan, Whitney Houston, people like that. And looking at him now, he just oozes. You know, even at the beginning when he's not quite made it, and he's still supposedly quite small, and and not being one, or not winning over the crowd. The, the opening scenes is kind of mini montage of him in the mirror, his band warming up. Everything about him getting ready to go onto the stage and in the act, it shows just everything about him is just a showman and a star. Even if his other personas or private life weren't quite like that, he, you know, when he goes on stage, he becomes tonight, Matthew. I'm going to be Prince.
0: Yes, exactly. I think that's one of the one of the film's real strengths is actually in quite, in a really similar way to Saturday Night Fever, it shows. It shows the contrast between what happens when he goes to the club with what's happening at home, and there's something about that real, the real sort of stark difference between the two things that really pulls you up short. Because you start in the, you start with him playing Let's Go Crazy, and it just seems, you know, this this man's on top of the world, and then he goes home to his folks' house, and it's such a such a dark scene that's playing out, you know. And I think that's quite, I mean, what your point about Celebrity as well is is really good. And I think that's the thing about this film that's quite striking. I don't know what you thought, but nowadays when, when someone is incredibly famous, it feels as if their image is really tightly managed and you're kind of um, encouraged to think of them as someone incredibly virtuous who does good things for the world. And this film nowadays particularly i think seems really daring because it's prince voluntarily putting himself at the center of a film that shows him to be an incredibly flawed individual like he's not selling himself as some kind of paragon of virtue you know he he's an abuser he you know he's really really jealous he's competitive with members of his band he's difficult to work with there are all of these aspects of this person's character and that this time when i was watching i was thinking the idea of the idea of an artist like that sort of, sort of encouraging encouraging their audience to sort of think of themselves as someone with that many kind of problems is sort of unthinkable
1: now, isn't it? Well, definitely. And that, that was one of the, the themes running throughout the film about, again, this leans heavily on, on his own personal life, but the portrayal of domestic violence in the film is quite stark. And again, as you touched on, the the way that celebrities or, or stars now are, they wouldn't feature or it'd be very unlikely that they they would feature heavily those kind of scenes. Or if they did, they'd be portrayed in a certain light. And the way that the kid's dad slaps his mum, slaps him, there's so much aggression and violent like physical violence. In the house, yeah. that in a movie that you kind of, you know, I wasn't expecting it at all, because I was expecting it to be a, an hour and forty-five minutes of purple fluff. Yeah, to be honest, you yeah. know, um, and and coming in and, and seeing, you know, a lot of physical violence there, and it's not glamorized at all. No, no. Quite the opposite, but it shows how, how damaging it can be. But uh, as you say, it is daring enough that they they lay it on quite thick. I mean, it's, it's repeated several times throughout to the point where, as you said, even Prince at one point slaps his girlfriend because yeah. of his jealousy. He can't deal with the fact that she's going off joining his rival's group. And that's something that is one of those scenes that... um, And I remember watching Wolf of Wall Street in the cinema. And it was this quite funny story about the guy who makes lots of money and he's a bit of a prick and everything else. And all of a sudden, when he... DiCaprio slaps his wife in the film, the whole cinema, you could feel it shake. And this was a film, you know, relatively recently, but... Yeah, seeing that in 1984, if you're a Prince fan going to see that on a Friday night, thinking, "Oh, this is going to be great," and all of a sudden get that, I mean, that must be very strange. I mean, if, I mean, you watching that, I mean, do do you think that gives you any more context as to Prince's upbringing or his background?
0: Well, I mean, it's not meant to be an exact retelling of Prince's story. I think that there, it's commonly known that there are overlaps there. You know, like I know that his, you know, his father was a musician and, you know, a real disciplinarian. So I think I think it's always it's always dangerous when you know that there are overlaps to to unless unless you know for sure to kind of project the exact detail onto onto someone. But I mean, you know, if you if you're if you're a fan, that's the thing. If you're a fan of someone like Prince and you find out a little bit about him. Just as with people in real life, you find out that good things and bad things because, you know, celebrities are human people and very few, pe- you know, if if someone's got, <laughs> yeah, well, if if so, some- I don't, well, that's the thing. I don't think people think that they are anymore, really. I think that people have a real sort of thing about putting celebrity in a kind of hierarchical thing where we're kind of made to think that people are, you know. I don't know, like anyone that's got a squeaky clean image that'll probably just be because you haven't necessarily been you know you you won't have had to be in a living with them or kind of do do something where you kind of see you know the the darker aspects of their character i mean obviously everyone's on a you know there are different degrees, but you you know with someone like Prince people who are incredibly incredibly gifted and they can be a perfectionist in one respect and they can kind of you know have personal problems in one way and then kind of in other ways that they can be exceptionally great to be around and it's all sort of Mm. these different myriad of different things
1: what I'm gonna join Morris's group one of the reasons that initially we, we had talked about doing this episode now was that it's um you know we're coming up to five years since Prince passed away and I mean I guess you said yourself you were quite fortunate that not long after he died there was a screening of this that you went to see and I mean I I watched the film on my tv at home with the dog and got carried away a little bit you know really got, got really into it and I mean, what was the atmosphere like at the screening you went to? I mean, just if you can describe it. Well, that that,
0: that does sound like a very good atmosphere, if you ask me. Uh, well, yeah, it was, a, it was a week after he'd passed away and it was at Genesis Cinema in Bethnal Green in London. And uh, it's quite quite a big theatre there and it was completely sold out. And, yeah, it was just... This, I've never quite experienced um, it before. I went with my friend Chris and we were just so struck by this sort of outpouring of love from all of these Prince fans. You know, there was lots of audience participation, lots of people quoting it, you know, sort of um, getting up and dancing during the gig scenes, uh, sort of people shouting, we love you Prince, things like that, you know, it's it was really actually quite touching. The atmosphere was, you know, you could just feel people sort of appreciating the fact that Prince was a real one-off, you know, and to lose someone like that at such a young age is is a really sad thing.
1: Not even being a particular fan of his, you know, when you heard the news, it was kind of shocking. You know, he was so young, and yes, it's, it's, when when anyone passes, you know, when there's someone even Prince or Michael Jackson or that kind of thing you know where they've been that big in people's lives and that happens and all of a sudden it's in some cases you reevaluate who they were or, or you might take a deeper appreciation of of what they did and and how they influenced millions of people and I guess if emotions were high a week after he died and you know people had the opportunity to go and and see that that would have been quite special and um and to be honest I mean we we, we talked about it and hopefully if um if there is another screening of it at some point in the future that'll definitely be an essential one on my bucket list
0: oh yeah completely I think it really helps it sort of come come to life you know and then you kind of feel like one of those one of those people in the crowd at one of those live performances
1: now one thing I wanted to to touch on and it's it's a one of the things that, and I I guess earlier I called it kind of unintentional comedy, but one of the other characters that we meet um, early on in in the film is Apollonia. We call her the love interest of the film, but um, the the female lead. And, you know, throughout, she, she tries to get a job at the club. She sneaks in. She's very, I suppose, improvising how she gets in here. And eventually we find out that she, um her and prince form a bond they have this scene where she rides on his motorbike and it's a, a sort of small montage to take me with you while he's on this motorbike and again I I must I mustn't glaze over the the whole motorbike issue I mean he he rides a purple Honda is it Honda I think um and has got the yeah it's got the symbol that sim famous or A version of his famous symbol on the front you know this this (laughs) shows how, how far in advance that was going he was apparently really into the film Quadrophenia which I found out
0: which I think is so so amazing because there's something about the idea of Phil Daniels on his bike in in that film that's that's sort of quite different To Prince, quite contrast two very charismatic men, but in two very different ways. (laughs) And there's something about this idea of Prince watching Quadrophenia um, repeatedly, and then kind of that inspiring him for that. That's that's really a fun thing to think about.
1: I suppose that's the thing that you kind of you, you never really know where these artists' influences come from. Yeah, and you know, you think a film like Quadrophenia, you you wonder how well traveled it might be, but obviously it's got its way into so much popular culture in. All over the world in various guises, but um, to think that it may have had an influence on on this scene where uh, the kid takes Apollonia up to the lake, and I mean, let's not kid around. I mean, she's a beautiful woman, and he gets her to purify herself in the lake. Will you help me? Nope. Pardon me.
0: Nope. Want to know why?
1: Nope.
0: Because you wouldn't pass the initiation.
1: What initiation?
0: Well, for starters, you have to purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. What?
1: You have to purify yourself in Lake Minnetonka. I mean, it's, um, (laughs) was that their first date or their second date? (laughs) Um, there's it's
0: such an amazing scene for so many reasons. There's something about the two of them being put in the countryside setting, which in itself really makes me laugh, but I think it's so joyous, it's fantastic. Uh like imagine if you just sort of, you know, were having a nice day out and you kind of went around the corner of a country road and you those two zoomed past you, It'd be amazing. Um and the fact that you know, he kind of he bumps into Apollonia, and she's sort of like looking in. The two of them are looking in some shop shop windows, and the clothes that Apollonia sort of hangs out in when you know when she's just hanging around the city is this sort of like black rubber two piece. Is <laughs> also sort of incredible, and then the fact that he says you have to purify yourself in Lake Minnetonka, and she sort of says what in a really great way, in a way that sort of like is sort of would mimic the entire audience's reaction at that bit and then and then she actually does get in and then and then there's something about her trying to struggle back into that sort of black rubber two-piece after having been in the lake as I've swam in the Hampstead ponds I know how difficult that would be (laughs) I sort of watch her struggling, trying to put the trousers back on, thinking, like, oh, God, she's going to be there all day. It's going to be rich. like, you know, she'll be covered in gunk from the lake. It's just, oh, that's not going to be fun.
1: So She didn't uh, have a towel either, did she? She didn't
0: have a towel. I mean, the whole, the film could be called Poor Apollonia. Like, Apollonia <laughs> has such
1: a hard time.
0: And, like, she just, the film starts with her literally trying to get her foot in the door of the club and sort of being shown into this apartment that's you know bad and her saying you know I don't have a phone and the whole film is her just sort of saying to people like you know I, I, I'm i a singer I'd quite like to get a job will you help me and people going no we're not going to help you or then if someone does help her they kind of go okay well, we'll help you but we're gonna make you sing the most ridiculous song that anyone's ever sung in your underwear and um, you know and she just gets like yeah it's she just has a really tough time. And then at the end of the film, I always expect that Prince is going to invite her up on stage, you know, so that she can, like, sing a song that isn't ridiculous. Maybe
1: not in her underwear.
0: And then it doesn't happen. So I'm always indignant on her behalf.
1: She, she does suffer a lot, doesn't she? I mean, that you know, the, like the way you described, they, they go up to this lake, they're both in, how can I put it politely, they're not dressed appropriately. <laughs> um, and nor, and normally when nor you see a character walking I think when they get off the bike and they're by the lake you know there's there's rocks and pebbles it's like being at Brighton Beach and normally you think about oh my god how is she walking in those shoes I was more worried about how he's walking in those shoes I mean he's, he had some decent heels on oh yeah um, that whole scene and, and he's very I suppose on one hand playful with her you know by the time she's managed to struggle out of this freezing cold lake managing to get this her clothes back on and drying miraculously yeah i love it when she
0: says to him i must have looked pretty ridiculous and he says no you look great i really like that it was very fun (laughs) (laughs)
1: and and the way he's kind of like you know on the bike riding off a little bit you know those kind of playful bits that i suppose in, in her case i mean she must clearly have been drawn to him because uh well, she she got back on the bike with a big smile, even when he said to her, "Don't get my seat all wet." <laughs> which
0: which is such. There are a few lines in this film that are really spinal tap, because there is that line yeah. in um the, like the main song in Spinal Tap where they say like, "Not a dry seat in the house." And I and I think the yeah. films came out within a few months of each other. It's like I'd have to read something about this moment in the eighties where people were really good at kind of nailing all the kind of comic aspects of rock and roll. Really
1: good. Oh, golden age
0: <laughs> golden age i mean sex shooter is a spinal tap song isn't it
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean that that whole sequence where she goes off and again we've we talked about the time the the other act or one of the other acts of the, the club and morris and jerome not robson jerome um mm-hmm this act that he puts together with Apollonia as the star I mean it's almost like I mean it would be crude to just label it as a kind of prototype pussycat dolls but it is a very much a prototype pussycat dolls the look and the the sound it's um I don't know could you say ahead of its time or just pure exploitation (laughs)
0: That's the thing, and it would work it would work in the context of the narrative if at the end Apollonia was allowed to sort of do something not quite like that because you know you 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 get that Morris is kind of you know that kind of guy where he's just trying to put together this girl group to try and knock the kid and his band off the set list, you know so so they are kind of doing it for. Explosive, and the bit the the scene in the rehearsal room with him telling the girls you know I want to see some asses wiggling and things you know it's very sort of comic book villain you, you tell, you know, they're, they're looking really pissed off and it's so funny I, I took I took a date to see this film quite like within the last couple of years and it was a very early date and I always I always sort of forget I forget bits of it, like I, you know, i remember all the kind of live scenes and stuff so well. We were sort of sitting in the cinema, and we got to the bit, this sex shoot a bit, and I can remember kind of thinking, "What must he be th-? like? This in- exceptionally well-brought-up man. <laughs> what must he be thinking?" <laughs> it's just got these. It's it's such a for such a kind of big big hit film it's 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 got so many aspects of sort of strangeness but i think it you know all of those bits aren't meant to be funny to be fair i think like Mar- morris yeah. Denver, as a as a villain in it i think he's really good he's kind of like someone out of bugsy malone or something he's got that sort of really exaggerated like you know sort of wickedness and and his band at the time you know they were a real band they were touring with Prince and the Revolution, there was a real rivalry between them as well, I think. And um, yeah, that really comes through. It's great.
1: I, I found Morris to be brilliant. And I always love in a film where there is a villain. And again, we call him villain. I mean, you know, so, some of the films we do for the podcast, the villains are megalomaniacs or serial killers or something like that. I mean, this is a guy who just wants his rival off. The bill of, of a nightclub and if he can take his girlfriend as well happy days but i always love a double act where you've got the main bad guy and his i've written comedy lick spittle but oh, um yeah. very much his his smithers his whatever and the interaction between them there's such a strange fondness and it's it's really well done even if play it is deliberately played for laughs at times but the, the way that Morris interacts with Jerome, the way that he interacts with Prince as well, there's this kind of, you know, I'm not evil, you should be rooting against me, but you find me quite funny. I mean, the the scene where he takes Apollonia to the club, it, just the whole the chat-up lines he uses. <laughs> I have a brass water bed. <laughs> and was, apparently these were lyrics from one of their songs, I believe, but um, I mean, and the one I've written down, which I've I, I find just brilliant um your lips would make a lollipop too happy oh i mean comet that is gold <laughs> that, it really I don't know if it'd ever work but um the the whole idea of this guy being this cheesy and even those little things he does where you know he, he buys the bottle of champagne says keep the change and then go and get my change back yeah <laughs> <I> mean, just, <laughs> little things like that i mean he's such a As a comic character, he's actually well-written, which I wasn't expecting from the film. I mean, again, not knowing much about it other than it's a Prince film. You're not expecting a villain. You're not expecting, you know, if you are, they're going to be done up in a weird way, like, I don't know, in Moonwalker or something. I suppose those two films are always going to kind of be compared to one another, but um, I thought Morris... And his antics throughout were just really, really funny. Yeah, he's
0: he's really, really good. And I think that um, it's actually it's quite a good example of how if you if you sort of embed something in in, you know, like a real life situation that's going on even if it means you're going to use people that aren't you know really experienced actors or anything like that it can really can really come off if you give these people an opportunity to shine you know like it's really uh he's got a he's got a presence that's really different from princes and so there's something about the fact that they they're um Competing with each other is is really convincing, and you can sort of see how the the two different bands have quite a different style, and so you know people could could kind of take a liking to one, or they could take a liking to another. You know,
1: and this inspiring jealousy, and obviously that's part of it. You know, he's he's taken Apollonia out to to this club that he's trying to show her off for this expensive champagne. Prince is on stage, and. This becomes this kind of huge performance. I don't know whether it's in you know, it, it's driven him doing the beautiful ones on stage, where he's like intensely staring at her throughout the song, mm. and not being a performer in this, you know, in the way that Prince is. I mean, I, I'm not even going to talk about how many downloads a podcast gets, but it's um, <laughs> it's one of it's one of those things where, I suppose, if you're of an if you're of a mind where that kind of inspires you to do that sort of thing it's also proving morris right because this performance shows both the wonderful performer side of prince but also the ego that they talk about that he he's doing it all for himself it's all about him and how he can't truly belong on the stage i mean the the song's great. His portrayal in that scene—it just shows there's so much passion there. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard for for me sitting here in a shorts and hoodie next to Labrador to convey that. I'll have <laughs> to put a clip. I'll have to put a clip in. But um, I mean, watching that in a full cinema date or otherwise, I mean, that that must have been a goosebump moment.
0: Oh completely it's one of my favorite songs of all time i have to say it's very it's very special to me and i think the reason though is is sort of rooted in what you just said in in that if you if you're a prince fan and you discover that song while you're still you know a teenager and when you're young you know i mean i i mean i say that as it, as if i haven't kind of t- turned to it since then of course i have but and you know those moment those incredibly self indulgent moments that you have if you're really crazy about someone you know it's it's just one of those songs that really that really gets to the the core of that but you're right it is self indulgent it's like you know everything's about me you need to give me attention. I want to know that you know I have got you. It's it's all of those things sort of encapsulated really well in a song. It's one of those it's one of those songs that very few people can pull off. I think I, I sent you the link to um, Beyonce doing it at Glastonbury, and I think she's sort of one of the only the only people where she could sort of like capture that incredibly sort of overblown feeling to that song and it not sort of come off as being a bit ridiculous. They're, they're possibly the only two people, you know, within the last sort of 30 years or so that could that could have done that in that way.
1: Go on, make everyone jealous. Say who was at that performance, who saw that oh, performance. Oh,
0: right? oh no, oh, I'm not going to. I'm not going <laughs> to. that no, no. I, I was. If you if if you watch the footage as she goes into that song, you you do hear some people screaming, and one of those people is is me. But it's because <laughs> that's, that's the way people the people relate to Prince's music. Though it is it is strange. You can build up very personal relationships to Prince songs. So if so, if you're if you're in a gig setting and someone starts singing a particular Prince song that you've got a particular relationship with, it is a little bit like they've, they've sort of said your name into the microphone or something. It feels a bit like that. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it does sound ridiculous.
1: No, because that was, do you say that was 2011? No. Yes. Yes. I think that summer, that summer I went to the Isle of White Festival and Pulp were there. Uh, oh, well that's really sure. good too. Yeah, I don't what? think they covered a Prince song but um, I, I did feel like Jarvis was talking directly at me.
0: Do Pulp have a song that you relate to in that way?
1: The weirdly common people because I always used to do it at karaoke when I was younger and I think I, I kind of joked about it before but when, when I was at school I was always kind of reminded of, I went to quite a posh school and I'm definitely not posh and I wasn't posh and I was the, very much the token Islington boy when Islington before Islington was posh and um it was the same school that Spandau Ballet went to, but it was. Um, I was often reminded, mainly by the teachers, actually, not not so much my colleagues or fellow pupils, um, that you know that I was reminded of my place in the world. And if you're not listening, if you're from outside the UK, this is how it. This is life. This is how things are. And um, yeah, and I always ended up doing Common People because it was somewhat ironic, and it ended up being the the place where we used to go. I think when we were 16 or 17 it was kind of our school because it's a posh school they had an old boys sports club that legally we could be 16 and drink in there as long as we were members and uh, we'd all get absolutely wankered on four pints of watered down Carlsberg and get up and sing something at the end and common people was that one for me but uh, maybe if I'd been a Prince fan earlier it might have been oh god I'd have absolutely murdered that song
0: (laughs) I'm sure that's not true at all. I'm no, sure no, no, no. True. I mean, these things can be just to do with how you're feeling at the time as well. I think when I was at that Beyonce performance, I think I was sort of very much in the throes of, of quite an intense relationship. So it also sort of hits you in that way. And, you know, just as how about um, something changed by pulp? How about that? That must have hit you in a particular way at a particular time. That's a lovely, that's a lovely romantic song. Lovely
1: song yeah. yeah shoulda sang that <laughs> but we, we must say the song worked because um, as she uh, as he's singing away she he leaves in this emotional state um, back to his motorbike and uh, she's there waiting by the fire escape and uh, what was it he says to her i want to show you something which um not suggestive at all
0: no not suggestive at all and then but, yeah and then he's got the the thing of um, the tape playing the woman crying backwards which yeah. I, which I think if I if I went if I went back to a guy's house and he and he played that to me I, I pro- I'd probably probably try and leave
1: <laughs> well this is the weird thing I mean I I didn't really understand the layout of the house I thought this was like some sort of sex shed that he had installed you know away from his parents house in the garden yeah. Yeah. um it turned out it was more like the cellar or basement. yeah i think
0: it is i think it is the 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 basement
1: yeah um well then they do
0: go to a state there is a shot of the, the um making love in a stable later isn't there
1: during the month yeah yeah, I, I, yeah. That, that was weird wasn't it
0: um, yeah, I have <laughs> that was a scene that might have been cut down because you just see okay. a moment, but I'm I'm not sure. But it, I I think maybe it it might have been, but it adds to yeah. the it adds to sort of it's it's another one of those moments in in the film that sort of you know, that make you kind of stop short and and yeah, never like the whole, the whole film the whole film you've got to say that it's quite sort of unpredictable. It kind of keeps you on your toes.
1: Yeah, well, definitely, because I mean that that scene um, where they end up, and how can I put this without going red faced, um, where they get down, and yeah. it's, um, I mean, I don't know, I, it's actually, I won't say it's graphic, but it's certainly suggestive, and I don't know if you're a young kid who's into Prince, and you've already got past the domestic violence and the lines about. Your lips would make a lollipop too happy, and then you get to, and you still make it this far. You've done well, but um, there was it was surprisingly raunchy for, for, what it was. Although I guess with Prince's reputation, he'd probably expected.
0: Yes, um, Prince Prince could be pretty raunchy, couldn't it? I mean, like I remember when I was a, when I was still a kid, one of the first Prince songs I properly listened to was "Get Off." I don't know whether you remember that one, but it's, yeah. extremely, it's it was a big hit. It was ex- extremely raunchy and there was something about it that made, you know, you, you knew that it was you, like, this is when you're at an age where you don't, you're not quite sure sort of what sex is yet. You're sort of in, interested to find out, but you know, a song like that sort of makes you feel terrified because it sort of sounds like you're going to be thrown into a lion enclosure. But, um, but you know, it's a great record. But he's, um he's hmm. yeah he could be pretty pretty i mean that was sort of one of his one of his s- selling points you know he was very provocative
1: very much and and this scene very much was mm-hmm. i mean it's uh, I, I one of the imdb trivia things i read said that they filmed three different versions of it to match three different uh certifications for the um to get a rating in america and they went for the strongest one in the end which uh, i suppose you got them keep it quite realistic i suppose but, uh,
0: yeah apparently yeah. apparently the soundtrack i i heard that the inclusion of darling nikki on the soundtrack is what led to parental advisory
1: stickers on albums oh really yeah, okay. yeah. i mean i i i guess i've always you know i've got spotify and i've i've listened to prince on various things over the years and I think because I was deliberately listening to the album in preparation for this, I mean, I must say, this was the first time I'd really taken notice of Darling Nikki and her ways. To um, <laughs> <laughs> put it politely, go and Google the lyrics if, if you want to listen to the song. But uh, I was disappointed she wasn't a character in the film.
0: But, um, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry about that.
1: Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll blame you for that. I knew a girl named Nikki. I guess you could say she was a sex fiend. I met her in a hotel lobby, masturbating with a magazine. She said, How'd you like what to do
0: um, um, what, what hotel did you think she might have been waiting at?
1: Well, I thought, you know, Prince and Purple, I thought it would have been a premiere in. Yes. Was kind of... <laughs> I and suppose
0: maybe she these. Was
1: yeah. <laughs> I suppose yeah you, you worry about going into a premier in now, you're either gonna see Lenny Henry or Darling Nikki in the corner of the lobby.
0: <laughs> I mean this is the thing, apparently he recorded like a hundred songs and gave them to the director to listen to, and the director sort of helped him pick out the the right amount of songs to go on the soundtrack that would sort of fit the narrative. And I would have really liked to have been there when the director got to darling Nikki. <laughs> he listened to it and he's like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll put this one on this. This feels relevant. <laughs> but I mean, obviously, he's a great cut. I'm not saying that he made the wrong cut. He, he made the right. I mean, it's it's an, it's sort of an incredible moment in the film and an amazing performance. And, and um and, and an amazing record, for this, uh, but yeah, there's something kind of quite funny about the director sort of structuring these songs around his narrative and, and that being in. Yeah.
1: It's like, how can we make it, this sounds Spinal tab as well. It's like, try and make it more sexy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, I mean, we've got, there's a scene, Morris is trying again, he's trying to woo Apollonia, um, offers her a tape and says to her those kind of lines that I guess if you're uh, an actor or actress in an 80s film is, don't you want to be a star? Uh, you know, trying to woo her and, and it obviously works because then um, they go, oh, is, he, oh, is she there? Um, he's in his little sex hut and he hears his parents fighting again and um, the dad says to his mum, i die for you which obviously we then hear as a song title later down the line yeah um she then turns up at his hut with so she's bought him the guitar that they cut it was very like wayne's world again wasn't it he'd lusted after this guitar in a shop window and um she turned up at his hut with this guitar um and i i didn't count but i reckon it was probably less than a minute before he slapped her
0: yes that that comes he his his jealous his jealous reaction is pretty sudden after she gives him
1: the guitar, isn't it? Yeah. That was kind of, I guess with that, does she get a signing on bonus for signing up to Apollonia six, um, with, with Morris, but yeah, she goes and buys him the guitar and then tells him, uh, that she's going to be singing and dancing and gyrating at the, uh, the taste club, which sounds awesome. But, um, it's yeah, so at cool. yeah. no
0: point you would have just thought the prince might say, Okay, you know, if that's what you're doing to you know, if that if that's the route that you're going, maybe don't don't do that route, you know, I'll 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 have a word with the with the club manager and maybe we'll be able to, you know, get you a, a gig trying out some of your stuff where you don't have to sing sub shooter. But you know. That doesn't seem to occur to him.
1: No, and I guess this is part of his whole thing, isn't it? It's, uh, even though he's got himself a stunning girlfriend who's talented, um, he's still only really thinking about himself. Yeah. Um, You know, and and again, you know, there's no, you know, I mean, I I hadn't even noticed that, you know, he he doesn't make any effort to try and assist her in any way. And again, even at the end, you know, you mentioned that he doesn't get her on stage with him because it's his moment. Um, Yeah you know she's she's very much this kind of supporting star um and then you know we have the next day he turns up late at the club he's called to see the boss and and essentially being given pretty much his last rights um you know again and and he's told quite outright you know you you're playing for yourself you're not playing for the crowd or your band or anything else and um it's very much that kind of I suppose we can call it rock bottom because it leads to that most wonderful '80s uh, trope of uh, the glorious, glorious montage.
0: Oh, it's a really good montage, isn't it?
1: When doves cry to a montage—is that yeah. uh, is that pretty much heaven for you? It's up there,
0: and the thing that's really <laughs> amazing
1: about it is that the, the song—the song was written
0: for the montage. So, so the director said, "I've got this montage. I need. I need to have." I need to have you know another song from you that sort of covers these kind of themes because I need to put this put you know put this montage together and, and that's what he came up with I think kind of over the course of a couple of days I could be wrong about that but I think that's what
1: happened and I struggled to iron a shirt over a couple of
0: days. No, <laughs> like, It's it's sickening these things. It was um,
1: it's how
0: productive some people can be during the course of a weekend. Just I
1: know sense. it's terrible. Yeah. Imagine what he'd do in lockdown. I don't
0: know. Oh, um, don't, don't. don't. <laughs>
1: oh. I mean, we we both again. You know, we, we we talked about it. It's the way it sits alongside many other films of of its time, and in this, I mean, again, a montage. You're either going to compare it to, I suppose, Rocky Four or Top Gun, both. Brilliant films with brilliant montages. Uh, this probably, you know, again, it's it's Top Gun. He's on a motorbike. He's going to when doves cry, um, and the scene with, f- you know, like you said, he flashbacks to the barn where he's yeah getting off with someone. I, I assume Apollonia. But, um, <laughs> I, I mean, it's just peak. I don't know how it's escaped me, and I I talk about this a lot because there are so many films. That I've done episodes on that I haven't seen you know there's there's this, there's Labyrinth Blade Runner, that sort of stuff and you kind of feel like how or why did I not watch it before at the time and I kind of think maybe again you know if, if I'd watched this when I was seven or eight it might have been wasted on me but watching it now I think I do have this appreciation for montages you know not quite. I'm not quite saying it's my specialist subject on Mastermind but being a Prince fan and having that, I, I don't want to sort of point you out as that's that's a, a redeeming feature and that's the only reason why we're I'm talking to you about it. But it's um, it's very much trying to get in your head about being a Prince fan and, and having this kind of stuff committed to to celluloid it must be great. Yeah, it it
0: is it is great, and I'm really as this film as as we're discussing, you know, it has it isn't it isn't perfect, but I think it's up there as one of the the great kind of um, films that showcase a great musical star because you know Elvis made a whole load and most of them weren't very good and it's very it's actually extremely difficult to to make a movie that successfully captures like you know a real one-off artist and sort of you know can showcase their magnetism and talent and and the thing that made them special at that moment in time and i'm really thankful that this film was made because the more time goes by the more you sort of appreciate that there are aspects of it and the fa- and, and the fact that it's that it does have an overlap with prince's own sort of personal story makes it all the better it just ha- it has him at his kind of musical peak and it has him with the band that he worked so hard with and you know and they get to play quite a big part of the film as well I I mean I find their interactions on stage his and Wendy's in particular actually really kind of moving to see, and it's just a really special moment in time because you know he could we don't we don't know what will happen in the future but you know there's a good argument to be made that he is the ultimate pop star well there won't be one quite like him again quite possibly so as you say, to have things like when Doves Cry, quite possibly his greatest his greatest song sort of captured in a brilliant montage like that. It's such a great thing to have happened.
1: Trying to compare it to I mean, I'm not gonna even make any pretense about being up with mod or down with modern music and, and trying to find any kind of comparison now because I mean things are so different now. The the world has changed so much and, and it's hard to find you know, a comparison and, and yet when you look back, there is everything so heavily tinged with nostalgia. And when you look at that period, you know, that mid eighties, I mean this was eighty four, you you've got within a couple of years, you've got Madonna makes it huge, Michael Jackson still massive and and these artists, you've got bands as well doing similar stuff, but and this is just in the kind of pop environment where when you look at it now uh, maybe it's just because I'm 40 and old and grumpy and weren't things better back in my day shouting at clouds but it is a little bit hard to kind of imagine anything like that happening again even with the world changing the way it is but uh,
0: yeah there are different things that um because on the one hand as you say you wouldn't there are aspects of this if, if it was if it was done again now it would probably be more in terms of preserving prince's image it would be more sanitised and I think there are you know there's sort of an argument for that and an argument against that but there are other things about it like the styling even he had a really great costume designer for this film called Marie France and she she sort of encouraged him to to kind of you know really go with that sort of sev- um, 17th century kind of inspired sort of like shirt and and kind of make sure that it was all kind of made out of really good fabric and things and and i think we take you know we take the imagery of something like purple rain for granted now because we've seen it so many times and we kind of forget that some of those decisions are like really vital in terms of how something is preserved in timeless it feels as an image because like if everything feels too 80s too dated someone kind of rocks up wearing kind of like a a shiny suit it can it can be great but it can be very much rooted in its time but there's something about the ways that sort the of prince is styled in this that's sort of like it's stranger than that it doesn't have that feeling of like you're definitely at that sort of moment in time it you know it's like marilyn monroe isn't it with her white dress or something it's got that feeling that it's going to be there forever or like um elvis doing jail jailhouse rock or something do you know what i mean
1: Yeah, like James Dean and his red jacket. Yeah, completely, completely. It's got that. This is the thing, you know, the film is 37 years old and yet watching it for the first time and seeing all this stuff, it's incredibly 80s and yet there's parts of it that aren't 80s at all. And it is fascinating to see. And and I guess, you know, it has opened my eyes and, and my ears a bit more to Prince in a way that... I suppose obviously that was probably part of the intention. I suppose if you if you make a film about an artist, and again now we're we're in an age where biopics of, you know, old and deceased artists are now becoming popular again with Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man and things like that where it's not I mean it's very much not the same, but there's still and there's the elements of control there that perhaps prints allowed the reins to come off a little bit whereas it feels like i mean elton john was so involved in his own biopic
0: it's not that i think that there shouldn't be any involvement because obviously this film is something that's sort of produced by prince's management so like and it is a a vehicle for prince but um and like another another thing that's an example is madonna's in bed with Madonna that came out in is a sort of fly on the wall documentary of um, Madonna's blonde ambition tool, which again, you know, would be used as a promotional vehicle. But I think Madonna did give free reign to the person filming, sort of saying you can, you can film as much as you like and you can use what you like. You know, like that's the thing. There has to be some kind of cutoff point where the person where the person making the film is allowed to be an artist themselves. And like, I think with something like this film, the director really pushed for Prince's for there to be that scene where Prince's father hits him. And and Prince said to him, like, why, why, why did, does this matter so much to you? You know, why do you think that that should happen? And he said, well, you know, people, people want to see you know you're you're this rock star and if and if you if you get hit you know that's people will if you're going to you know go and do that to someone else and the bill, people will want to see that happen to you as well and you know and you think that's the that's a good directorial decision i think and that person should be allowed to to have that kind of influence it shouldn't just be this sort of you know little trailer that's made by a pop star
1: no but i agree i mean that was the whole essence that I, again how much of it's true or not when uh sasha baron cohen was supposedly lined up to play freddie mercury in the film and then he stepped away because the rest of the band took you know, they didn't like the way the film was going they wanted it to go in a certain way and it ended up being bohemian rhapsody which was entertaining in its own way it's all right um seen it. Yeah. but but you wonder where it would have gone. It was, um I dunno, I think obviously, you know, it took into account a lot of Freddie Mercury's issues and, and his lifestyle and everything. But you do wonder where it might have gone in different hands and, and had it not been quite so heavily controlled by the three surviving members of Queen. But that's a question for, for those who've made millions off uh, we will rock you and and so on. But uh, that's a conversation yeah. if uh, if we ever sit down again and talk about anything to do with Queen. But I mean, c- coming back to this, it's um, you know, we, we've got the scene. I mean, we, we there's the where he does computer blue on the stage and and like you said that the interaction between him and Wendy. I mean, she's she's on her knees in front of him. In a, you know. From, from certain angles anyway that that looks quite suggestive <laughs> deliberately so I I guess but um... it
0: reminded me wasn't there some kind of um famous performance of David Bowie and Mick Ronson where they where they did that I kind of I thought that it might be oh, okay that, I think so and also there's like I know that Prince saw the 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 very famous film documentary Woodstock with his mm dad when he was young and I think that had a big effect on him and a lot of those scenes in the film do feel very um inspired by Jimi Hendrix who you know he didn't you know he didn't do that thing that you're describing there but obviously sort of Jimi Hendrix would sort of set fire to his guitars and sort of bash them about and generally kind of do things that were quite provocative with them. you know so
1: yeah I mean, that's followed by him doing Darling Nikki, or playing the song Darling Nikki, um, and she storms out. Uh, and after the, the next hit is the, the, the sex shooter. It does sound like a spinal tap. The more you say spinal tap, the more it's kind of drilled in. Um, <laughs> and this is a film where you expect there to be a song called Lick My Love Pump.
0: Yeah, um, completely. That is you know. that is the kind of thing Prince would do. <laughs> oh.
1: Um, and afterwards, I mean, they have this, there's this weird sequence where her and Morris, she's, I'll say, drunk on success and whatever's in this hip flask in the alleyway behind, her, uh, there's the steam coming out, like something out of, again, I, I've always got to mention Street Hawk in here somewhere where a motorbike comes out the shadows and hits Morris and it's Prince on this, mo- his motorbike chasing her down the street and
0: Morris is so funny um, in that scene.
1: Oh, he's just brilliant, isn't he? He's so yeah. great.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but then he, uh, he utters, I suppose the one thing that wouldn't pass now is a somewhat homophobic slur at Prince as, uh, as he makes yeah. off into the night with uh, Apollonia on the back, of the back of the motorbike. And then they have another fight. And uh, this is, uh, I suppose, she throws the earring at him. It's kind of very symbolic.
0: Yes. Yes, yes. There's that. There's that scene, isn't there? Where one one thing that I just I like, um, and she's wearing that cloak. I I think they did sh- film this film either in the I think in the autumn and the winter when it was really cold. And I do feel so sorry for Apollonia because so many of the scenes she's sort of required to wear underwear and a cloak, and that those are her clothes. <laughs> she don't, she doesn't seem, you know, they don't kind of let her let her kind of at any point put on a cardigan and my heart goes out to her.
1: yeah, yeah i mean it's important to have a nice sensible cardigan you know i mean if if she's going to wear that sort of stuff on stage she wants to come off she wants to get comfortable um uh, not wearing a cloak and being dragged around on a motorbike and
0: no well that's the thing i know that it was important to the director um that was why he he kept all the gritty content in this film i think the um uh, Warner Brothers, I think, were quite shocked when they saw the first cut of the, or at least when they saw the script, and they wanted him to kind of take out a lot of the gritty content. And he pushed to leave it in because he wanted it to be authentic about a certain scene and certain moment in time. But that's the thing about Apollonia. I kind of think I want to. I wonder whether, how authentic that is. Would someone like Apollonia be wearing a cardigan at that moment? I think maybe she would or maybe a jumper.
1: I think that would have been authentic. Yeah, have a nice cup of tea when you come off stage. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) One thing I was slightly surprised about after this: that he's the kid's gone home, um, and there's all you know the house is smashed up. We've already had the scene where he's discovered his dad's basement studio, as you mentioned, his dad was a musician, Um, and this time his dad's got a gun, and. He shoots himself in the head and there's this kind of scene which again this is the bit where watching it you can tell that prince isn't an actor yeah because when the police have left and there is this kind of scenes where you know in the films where they have all the tape around the, the gun and stuff and um he starts smashing everything up and it is i know it's a very poignant moment you know his dad's almost killed himself and his life's in turmoil, and but the way he smashes everything up, it's almost like he looks almost like he's enjoying it in a way. And I know, you know I think you're it
0: say, yeah, you, this is where your tidiness instinct
1: kicks in, isn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, why would you make a mess like that? I mean, you're only going to have to tidy it up afterwards, anyway. <laughs> These aren't that bad. Oh, no, <laughs> If if everyone was like me, there'd be no problems in the world. This it's it's funny because that that is like a, a thing where you get it's almost what comes either before or after the montage the smashing everything up really dramatically and and this is where he finds sheets and sheets and sheets of his dad's music that he's written and it's very um you know that that kind of settles him down
0: yeah i mean the whole the, the film is so interesting because it's like there are three there are three different films happening simultaneously and there are, and moments like that it, it is when he goes back to his home and and his father trying to kill himself and finding the music it sort of becomes quite sort of like a Tennessee Williams play or something and then and then you go back to a scene with Morris Day and you're kind of back in a in a sort of Marx Brothers world or something and, um, and then and then back into this incredible musical film and I don't know like I I mean I, I quite I quite like it for those different shades I suppose because it it means that you can't really class the whole thing can you as just a an escapist bit of 80s trash in the way that you can with with some things because it's it's certainly sort of like showing you quite a lot of darkness isn't it and in comparison to to obviously the sort of blinding light that he gets at the end of the the film when he when he sings
1: his songs more. I mean we've already had um, so that the time have done their performance of the bird which was you know, quite quite a catchy little number and some nice dance moves and everything and yeah um, the revolution they're in the changing room and Prince has got his new guitar that Apollonia bought for him and the crowd are waiting and you know we've heard this motif throughout this film and I don't think we touched upon it really where, it was the song that the the girls in the band had written. Yeah. And he'd very much dismissed. And every time you play a couple, you know, the opening couple of seconds of it, it's clearly Purple Rain when yeah. you know thirty seven years later. And again, it's part of his you know, he's playing his dad's music at the piano. He's now you know, thinking of other people because he's listening to the music that his colleagues or his bandmates have written and he's now turning that into the thing that's going to turn him into mega prince
0: yeah that's the thing in the end isn't it it's kind of it feels more in some ways more like a love story about him and his band than it does between him and Apollonia in in some respects that because there is something genuinely moving about him performing that song and saying it's the song the girls in the band wrote. And then at one point during Purple Rainy goes over and he kisses Wendy on the cheek and she looks really moved. And the whole thing comes across as really authentic, you know, and you'd seen that there's a really great scene, I think earlier on in the film where she sort of confronts him in the rehearsal room and you, you kind of get the sense of there being that tension in the band. And there's something about it all kind of coming together then at the end that's that's really great it's funny as well like um i noticed when i was watching one of the the live scenes this time that prince is wearing heels and wendy is wearing sneakers Mm. and it's not often that you see that like and in as much as you know you have this other scenes in this film that we've been sort of like laughing at like you know the apollonia six um scenes and stuff but there there is something about the revolution as a band when you see them sort of playing together where actually you know there isn't gender stereotyping going on everyone is sort of like just doing their own thing and it actually feels you know even right now, at this moment in time 2021 it feels really sort of like refreshing and and like everyone is just able to be like an individual that they want to be you know
1: yeah, there's a lot of, um. I I'm not an expert at this, but you know, people, have, they're not pigeonholed. And I think, that, like you said, people are just themselves that, because there's no need to kind of put people on environments that they're not in. You don't need to dress this stuff up. I mean, if that's Prince, you're not going to turn him into someone who wears a suit and tie or jeans and a baggy hoodie or something like that. You know, if it's Prince, it's going to be Prince. If it's going to be the people in his band then that's fine and, and you yeah. know now more than ever that's probably more acceptable than and it would have been quite surprising to a lot of people back then because they you know to a lot of people they weren't used to that stuff and you know attitudes were changing I mean you can look at top of the pops from the era and people were starting to dress more flamboyantly and wearing makeup and well, stuff I that... think
0: it's quite in his image I think he had been Watching a lot of mm. you know Adamant videos and oh, stuff, you know, so you can sort of see that kind of bleeding into how he looks mm. here and, and stuff. But the the odd thing is, I was getting into, I would have been hearing this m- music and stuff in the in the nineties, and there was something about getting into Prince like during the height of Britpop that was quite interesting. Like I had you know just the absolutely gigantic. Prince poster above my bed when oasis would have been at the height of their fame and i think that there pro- that probably isn't a coincidence i think there was probably something about prince and the way you could there's something about his um his ethos where you sort of feel like you can be yourself if you if you don't necessarily feel like you want to completely sort of you know fit in with the kind of the norm of the of the time then I mean, I think Pulp did that really well. You were talking about Pulp earlier. I think, oh, you know, I really like Pulp too. There was something about that kind of like lad culture during the 90s that could sometimes, if you didn't feel like completely comfortable with it, it could make you feel like a bit of an outsider. And there's something about someone like Prince that makes you feel okay with being kind of on the outside of, of that, if that makes sense.
1: I mean, that, that's kind of almost, encouraged i think now with it there isn't these days these days i sound old Um, (laughs) where where, there, there is less of a kind of dominant type of music um you know back in the mid 90s you know that that couple of years sort of 94 95 96 where it was oasis or blur oasis or blur it's like one or the other there's this binary thing and the minute you say something different like I know pulp, yeah. To just pluck one out of the air, you know. People, are, oh well, yeah, I like them. But which, you know, are you Blue Oasis? And it's it's kind of a bit strange to, you know, a lot of people were pigeonholed, and of course, you know, there were other types of music then. But living in this country in that period of time, that was so dominant in a way that certainly probably hasn't been like that since. Maybe a couple of like, you know, that that was kind of as Take that, and Spice Girls are on the cusp of their own sort of eras as well. And, and you think if you're getting into or if you're looking for something alternative, then even at that point, you know, Prince would be an attractive thing for a lot of people to look at because it was different. I mean, it was different in the 80s, it was different in the 90s, and, and even now, you think there is an air of familiarity to a lot of it. But having that alternative, and I mean, again, I'll completely show myself which camp I was in. I mean, I, I went to oh, Sea Oasis at Nebworth. Oh, did you? Year. Yeah. What
0: was and that
1: like? I, I got really badly sunburned. What a good movie. Um, well, it was, it, I mean, they, they were good. The, the support acts were really, really, really good. And it was hard because you don't really understand the concept of how many people were there until you see it in pictures or in the news further down the line but um yeah i do wonder if you know i my my musical tastes were quite blinkered at the time i guess and having the option or having having prints there or having any other alternative at the time would have made things certainly different at the time well,
0: really. was quite an unfashionable person to be a fan of at that time because he was going through all this difficulty with his record company he'd you know make public appearances on you know he'd be on tv and he wouldn't speak or he'd have something sort of over his but you know so he came across as extremely kind of eccentric and yeah so it was quite it was quite it was it was a slightly odd yeah, you had to kind of fight quite hard to make your case for him at the time. I think. Well, it would obviously it would have depended on who who you were hanging around with. I mean, I was I was like my friend, one of my oldest friends, Rhiannon, was always a, into Prince as well, so I had her to talk to about him. But apart from that, and it was um interesting. The other day, I saw the music journalist. I don't know whether you saw this on Twitter. The music journalist Simon Price wrote a tweet about Oasis uh, not oh, yeah. having. Yeah, not having fast, like that, you know, sort of making the case that the reason why Oasis weren't as good as people sort of seem to think they are um, was that they didn't have any fast songs, you know, that you couldn't, they were this rock band that didn't have any songs that you could really dance to. And I was thinking, that's the thing, oddly, about kind of the way people categorize music. Because I was, when I was listening to Let's Go Crazy at the beginning of Purple Rain, I was thinking, Let's Go Crazy is, a really fantastic rock song that you can dance to. It's a really brilliant opener to the film. I know that he played it at a lot of his gigs. I think it was sort of like a favourite throughout his life. You know, it's quite, it's quite interesting. I know that it, you know, it caused, it caused a lot of controversy on Twitter because people were sort of debating that for all weekend, I think. But, um, but yeah, I was thinking it's funny how, because Prince sort of like merged all of these different genres of, of music, they don't kind of put him in one category or another quite rightly, but something like Let's Go Crazy is a very good example of a, of a rock song that you can dance to.
1: Yeah, or the, even the opening of When Doves Cry, you know, that kind of starts one way and then goes into what it is. You know, there, there are a lot of heavy leanings, you know, all different kind of genres. and yes,
0: why? Completely.
1: Yeah, and... Well, That's an
0: amazing bit of guitar, doesn't
1: it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then when, you know, you have this... I mean, the film is essentially a huge, long build-up because you, it's, it's like when you get to just play that song, Um you know what's coming. And in any film where music is heavily themed, there is the kind of... You're waiting for that one big performance. And when he comes on stage and does purple rain, everyone thinks his dad's dead. (laughs) Spoiler alert, he's not. Um, But he comes on stage and he's visibly emotional. He's clearly restrained in a way. Mm -hmm. Obviously he's, he's kind of channeling it differently. And all the things that we've kind of heard people say to him about, you know, it's not about you. It's you've got to play to the crowd and, and, be more in the moment and conveying that all in purple rain which then goes it almost becomes a medley with i would die for you and baby i'm a star afterwards yeah you know, this is an encore halfway through but but i mean that having that as the kind of key pivotal moment of the finale in one of his one of the most famous songs just to kind of obviously at the time it was new to a lot of well, pretty much everyone but coming back even now and watching that i mean it's enormous i mean it's it's one of these descriptions you need a thesaurus to describe really how big a kind of ending it is
0: i know the really weird thing is i found out that it was it was just one of these songs that you played um at a gig in Minnesota and he was just sort of like trying out different new songs. And I think the director came up to him sort of afterwards and said, that song that you sang, you know, that one, it sounded a bit like Bob Dylan, you know, that, that one. And Prince said, what purple rain? He said, yeah, yeah. I think that, that you should use that in the film. That should probably be how we kind of, you know, sort of like bring the film to a climax. And he was like, oh, right. Okay. Oh, can we call the film purple rain then? The director went, yeah. Okay. And you kind of think that's just, if that's true, that's mad because it all feels so it, much more calculated than that, doesn't it? Like like they have been working on that song mm. for ages and that they kind of knew that they, that's the way they were going to do the whole thing. But I think, you know, it's all much more sort of serendipitous than that.
1: It's funny when you do read into the backgrounds of films and stuff and how many... Well, I guess things evolve and become almost like fables or uh, urban myths as things get older. But you always kind of hear stories about how a lot of film titles or song choices become iconic almost by accident. Yes. Um, And I guess this, this is a very good example.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can imagine if you if you're if you're recording so much, so many things. Like, if you've got like hundred songs that you're suggesting for a soundtrack, it must be really difficult to sort of stand stand apart from it, you know, and, and look at and look at it objectively, mustn't it?
1: Yeah, and what happened to the other eighty five? You know, where where did they go? Did they get oh. dropped into other stuff? Is there a lost Purple Rain somewhere?
0: There probably is. I think it's just there's just a ridiculous ridiculous vault filled with. Prince songs. I think yeah. they're they're releasing more and more of them now. But you know that bit at the bit at the beginning where he where he's got his glasses on. And he sort of stands behind Apollonia, yeah. yeah, which is funny. That actually reminds. I thought. I thought. You know what? The end of Pretty in Pink when um, mm. Andy's at the prom and she turns around and she sees Ducky at the end of the corridor. I think Ducky was channeling a bit of Prince and Purple Rain there.
1: Yeah. With his glasses
0: like... and his quiff and mm. you know.
1: That's a good link. I, I I think I think the way that Ducky and I mean Ducky's expression at the end when that after Andy and Blaine have gone off into the car park doing whatever and he's chosen by the other guy, and he breaks that fourth wall, looking to the camera. That there is that kind of thing to it where you know again that's another film that having rewatched recently and the soundtrack has made its way into my kind of regularly listened on Spotify and ends on a. A huge song that was written almost at the last minute. Or yes, in that case by, by OMD. Yeah, um, yeah, you know that the, there is links and <laughs> let's, let's be really basic and say they've both got colours in the title. But yeah. it's um, it's just it's just so amazing to think that you know the film throughout has, I mean, it's emotional, it's funny, it's silly, it's really quite dark in parts, and then ends on this huge crowd-pleasing epic number, which then becomes that kind of thing, like imagine being there when this was being made or when this was being filmed. And I guess a lot of people seeing that, and again, you you hope, you know, I mean, the the magic of cinema and stuff and how many takes were there of this, but being in that crowd or being there when when he was doing this and, and channeling all that must have been a amazing amazing experience for those people albeit
0: yeah i think that was the first the first time the crowd had heard purple rain as well so the reactions that you're seeing and i think that's filmed really really beautifully in terms of the crowd as well isn't it because you get a lot of sort of shots of them just kind of standing there sort of taking it in it's not just prince and the revolution that you see and, you know, you can kind yeah. of but, and the soundtrack's quite unusual in that way because a lot of the the tracks are sort of their live recorded versions that then you know they would have done a certain amount of overdub overdubbing and stuff but um but it it really does sort of capture that live experience as a soundtrack album as well which which is quite interesting but um the pretty and pink soundtrack, if you've been listening to that a lot. There's a song by Jesse Johnson on it called Get to Know You which um is relevant to this film because he used to be in the time.
1: Oh really? Okay. Yeah.
0: So and I've always thought in fact I think the first the first time I heard that song I think I did actually think it was Prince the first one it. <laughs> it sounds very Prince going if you listen to it again you'll you'll know what I mean.
1: Yeah. Oh wow, okay. Small world. <laughs> And and during, we have a small montage, because it's not an 80s movie our a final montage. Um, during I Would Die For You, we see that his dad has survived his gunshot to the head. Um, he's in hospital. I guess that's kind of a an odd one. You know, this is a guy who's clearly got some demons, um, but I guess you don't want to Darken it too much, he survived anyway.
0: there is something about the film where they they kind of show how the perspective is is quite is quite male, isn't it? Hmm. You kind of see you see the father's pain, you see you see Prince's pain, and then you see what Apollonia goes through and you see what his mother's going through, but you're kind of left with more of an understanding i think of what Prince and his father. Feeling
1: about, it. yeah, because we see his mother kind of at the the bedside of her dad in hospital, and Apollonia, like you mentioned, you know, she's in the crowd when he does Purple Rain, and it, you know, everyone's crying, and everyone's, you know, she's there, kisses, she gives him a kiss, um, but she, he leaves her there, you know, there could have been that moment where he brought her out onto stage, um, but then during the montage, she arrives at his basement, and he's yeah. the the reuniting of the earring
0: yes and you know that at that point they're living a comfortable domestic life together because she's allowed to put on a vest
1: <laughs> he's such he's he's really melted hasn't he
0: he really has yeah she's she's been allowed to finally take off her bask
1: <laughs> that and, must um, have been a massive relief
0: it must have been a massive relief <laughs> Yeah, completely. That's actually a version of a of a fluffy onesie is wearing sort of like tight black vest. Yeah, so
1: people find comfort in all sorts of things. I don't know.
0: Completely. I think she's really good, though. I think there's something about like she. Most of her her role in the film is to kind of react to Prince. That's the main mm. thing she's there for, you know. And, and it's actually quite a lot of pressure on a person to kind of sit there in the scene, like when he's singing the beautiful ones, and she has to just react to it you know and i think she she does she does a really good job you know she's got a lot of she she conveys the the a sort of a, a softness in the film that it kind of needs doesn't it yeah,
1: yeah i think she grounds him a little bit and and as you say she she's there as his foil almost but um she does play she does push back and i guess you know we we joked Before about the you know the comparison with her and cassandra from wayne's world you know she's this i mean she she has much less of a role i mean cassandra was was a lot more dominant in that film but um you do wonder if that was a kind of something that they may have taken some inspiration from
0: i think they Um, must have done because there's quite a lot of parallels isn't there like wayne is in his parents basement and then you have cassandra and she wants to get you know, she wants to get the record deal, and then they they have the thing at the end of the film where where Wayne sort of drops his his stuff and makes kind of her getting no, noticed his objective. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure they they probably did take a little bit, but I mean, you know, you can see why this plays out in a different way because if at the end of Wayne's world, your option was, you know. Shall we get Tia Carrere to rock out at the end or shall we get Mike Myers to rock out? You probably go with Tia. <laughs> Whereas here they've got Prince and you're like, Okay, I can kind of see why you might give centre stage to Prince at the end of this film because it is Prince, you know. Yeah. Oh, so I suppose you you know, these things are gonna be affected by who you've got to work with, you know.
1: I mean that that film wasn't called Purple Wayne. I mean. I And we do get the ultimate ending. Um, It ends on a freeze frame of pure Prince Blue Steel. Purple Steel, I suppose. Um, I mean, that was was (laughs) proper stare, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it's so good. I I like that. It's very, it's, it's, it's so, it's so 80s, isn't it? That last little plot.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. (laughs) Oh. I mean
0: things, things like that little flourish at the end work do work very well if you see it in a cinema you, you kind of need oh, to have those nice little sort of tongue-in-cheek shots you know where someone's really sort of playing up to the idea of how much of a star they are you know? and actually his last before when he sings baby I'm a star at the end of the film he looks so relaxed and like having so much fun
1: that was Purple Rain. We did it. We made it. Um, It's been discussed and planned and parodied for many a month. Thank you so much. We'll have to rewind this Max. I'm getting quite emotional now.
0: Oh, thank you
1: so much. No, well, you you brought the video and and the soundtrack and, uh, yeah. And I know you said, you know, when, when I mentioned about, it's a shame about darling Nikki that she couldn't join us, but, um, yeah, she, she was unavailable. I think she probably got arrested by um, <laughs> the uh, the hotel police. Now, obviously, this is your, I, I suppose I, I should really keep a score of this. I guess it's probably your sixth
0: podcast. Yeah, I think it first. might be. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, well done.
0: Um a you are. I mean, I think that's testament to your resilience.
1: Well, maybe I just learned the lessons at Princeton and give the people what they want. Um, <laughs> clearly I mean we've talked about some of your other appearances in podcasts when when you've been on previously now um I suppose it's a good time to mention that you're also due on a to appear on a podcast that's coming soon after this is released anyway um and you're talking about a film that you actually mentioned earlier in this episode as well um do you want to tell us a little bit about what uh, your uh, your talk on the Coppola connections
0: yes uh I'm going to be talking about Saturday Night Fever with Petros on the Coupler Connections podcast, and that's at Caged in Pod on Twitter. And, yeah, there's so many things about that film that inspired this film, I think. In fact, I heard that when uh, the director of Purple Rain showed the script to Warner Brothers, they suggested that maybe John Travolta could play Prince. <laughs> <laughs> chameleon and he said i don't i don't think that'll work you know um but um but that that sort of shows i think that that it was kind of clear from the script that it had been quite influenced by saturday night Fever in a really great way so yeah i'd really like it if people listen to that and i also hear that you are on the same podcast talking about the conversation
1: yeah so i guess well, i think both our episodes will be out in april i think was it uh when, when the podcast goes out but yeah, it's um. And this is the thing that Petros is doing. I mean, Petros, some people might re- remember, he was my guest when we talked about Lethal Weapon long time ago, 2017, I think that was. And um, he, yeah, he's putting this podcast together of any, basically any film involving anyone who's got Coppola DNA or a link to marriage or cleaned their house or washed their car or something like that. And um, yeah, so Wine is uh, The Conversation, which was... Uh, a Coppola-directed film, which was one of my favourites. Yeah, uh, nice, nice little uh, surveillance drama there. But, yeah, it's, it's amazing how he's gone from, well, in our case, from The Conversation to Saturday Night Fever, and I think from some of the others, I mean, there's, well, there's going to be all sorts of Rocky and Grand Budapest Hotel and all sorts So, uh, yeah, when that launches, that'll be launching on April the 7th. On uh, on Petros's link, so we'll uh, we'll put some links there as well because you know we, we we like to show off here, don't we?
0: Oh, it's going it's going to be great. Yeah, has really made me think that I need to to do my um, cage homework actually a little bit more to go. Into yeah. That.
1: Well, or, or is that just an excuse to watch Moonstruck again?
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Snap out of it. Come well, um, as usual on the podcast, we normally play out with the film that was number one in the UK when the film was released. Um, Now Purple Rain was released in the UK on the 27th of July 1984 now the number one song when that came out was Two Tribes by Frankie Goes to Hollywood now honestly I'm having maybe some temporary amnesia but that was also the number one song when Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom came out the Mm -hmm. month beforehand What Um, a great a song Oh, fantastic, wasn't it? Um, (laughs) And it was also number one when Splash was released in uh, June 1984. So I'm going to take advantage of having um, a film involving one of the greatest pop stars of all time. And, I mean, he played out his film of sorts with Purple Rain. So I think, should we have Purple Rain ending the podcast?
0: Oh, yes, please.
1: Yes. And... um, I think i'm well past the lawyers getting involved now so i, I might be really self-indulgent and play the whole bloody thing oh, wow yeah, yeah stick you up spotify yeah. <laughs> oh, katrin thank you very much
0: oh thank you so much
1: i never meant to call you <laughs> when you i never
0: meant to call
1: But you can't seem to make up your mind I I think you better close it And let me guide you This podcast was brought to you by executive producers Keith Foster, Jimmy Fletcher, Mark Drakes, Matt Cunnington, Chris Hopkins, Omar Zambon, Ian Madrell, Catherine Lowe, Mark Makin, Zoltan Vargo, Simon Smith, Wayne McNally, Darren Hodgkins, Dan Wellington, Alex Heal, Philip Rothenberger, Alan Fewings, Tom Carr, James Kennedy, Simon Pegg, Joe Harrison, Anita Singh, Doug Grant, Andrew Elliott, Bobby Richmond, Associate Producer Chris Oakley. Visit patreon.com forward slash Club for more information around bonus episodes, early access, discounted merchandise and more.